Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. Pod nuggets in this episode include improbable research topics, grants you'd probably never thought would get funded. In our Good Samaritan department, a short-staffed Waffle House gets late-night help from their customers. We ask the question, can you stay incarcerated if you're already dead? We look at the American diet, how sweet it is. And we celebrate Quilty, the feline escape artist. Our Old Dogs interview is with Anna Louise Bruner, a teacher for many years who is now a playwright of many years. Stay with us. Hello, Paul. Hey, good morning, Jim. So what's on your mind today? Well, this is our 25th episode. You're kidding. Honest to goodness, 25 episodes. It's been a year, and I'm thinking I need a vacation. (laughs) You and me both. Yeah, well, so that started me thinking, what's my idea of a good vacation? And I guess I like going to a different country. Now, a different country that still speaks English. <laughs> well, that's almost every country now, well, isn't it? Yes, it is. But mm. shame on me for not wanting to learn the language. Well, you can't learn them all, is my philosophy. <clears throat> well, you can learn enough like, uh, I'd like a beer, I'd like a hamburger, where's the nearest McDonald's, those kind of things you need to, <laughs> um, you need to know. That's a, making a lot of assumptions about a foreign the country. country. <laughs> At any rate. My idea of a good vacation is going to a place I've never been before, a a foreign country. Yeah. How about you? Uh, When I was younger, that was uh, definitely high on my list, and I was very eager to travel long distances and see new sites. I am much less eager now to do that. In fact, I would prefer to get most of my vacationing done closer to home. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, backyard, although I have a lovely backyard. I'm Well, could I vacation in your backyard? You could. <laughs> Do they speak English there? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, we have, I have met some people who will only uh, do a cruise. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they like leaving their clothes in the same closet for mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. So what is it? Why, why don't you want to visit a foreign country, you snob? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I spent four years in the South Pacific. Yeah, it's not you? like you were in the Marines. <laughs> Give me a break. Joy. Well, I don't mean to shame you, although it's very easy. <laughs> uh, but do you think a lot of people share that feeling that they would rather travel the United States and go to another country? Well, here's what I'm concerned about. I think that a lot of people, once they reach a certain age, they tend to talk themselves into being tired. And they don't want to do anything. They don't want to go anywhere. But there are alternatives. And I think that the people who discover them, people who look around them and see, you know what? I am just, let's say, 50 miles away from a really gorgeous state park. And I've never been there. Uh, there, There is one state park that my wife and I go to all the time. And many of my friends have not even heard of it. And it's 50 miles from where I live. Well, I was interested in your argument. Uh, you could have plugged in, go to a different country, talking about being adventuresome. Don't just sit back in your living room, you know. Well, Paul, you're, you're missing the point here. Now, when I say close to home, I'm talking like visual distance. 
Okay, so it's kind of like your backyard <laughs> plus 50 Somebody miles. Somebody else's backyard. I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the improbable research folks like to track research that seems a little off track. The following research subjects are from their volume 25, number 5. Here's a strange one. Experimental replication shows knives manufactured from human waste do not work. In other words, knives fashioned from frozen human waste don't cut it. Oh, and here's a painful pun. Hitting the nail on the head, a case report demonstrating the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to an unusual penetrating intracranial injury. What? Yeah, it's a report on a guy that got shot in the head with a nail gun. And the solution is, don't do that. I'll remember that. See if you can figure out the short form for this one. Behavioral variability of olfactory exploration of the pet dog in relation to human adults. Oh, you got me. Well, it's basically, this is a study of why dogs sniff crotches. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And how about this one? Obstructive sleep apnea and golf. Measurements of performance and adherence. In other words, if you got a bad golf game, blame it on sleep apnea. So that's why. Here's three studies that are clearly unimportant. First study is on the importance of unimportant documents. Next, motor and perceptual skill in reading material whose meaning is unimportant. And finally, the insignificance of significant differences. You know, these are all studies that were paid for by someone. Yeah, not I me. I am sure glad these folks aren't working on global warming. <laughs> The Waffle House is popular for late-night food because the chain prides itself on never closing, even if understaffed. This pod nugget is from the Associated Press for November 8th, 2019. This unusual event happened at a Waffle House late one Saturday night in Birmingham, Alabama. It was just after midnight, and a single man was staffing the whole restaurant. Apparently, there was a scheduling miscommunication that left the lone worker to handle the front and back and everything in between. Being a Saturday night, there would soon be a drunken bar crowd demanding food. It was a riot about to happen. But then a customer stood up and asked for an apron and got to work. Soon other customers jumped in to wash dishes and bust tables. That lone worker got by with a little help from his friends, and he survived the night. You know, it was impressive that the volunteers stepped right in. Nobody waffled. Did you write that yourself, Paul? Yes. Wow. Benjamin Schreiber was serving a life sentence for murder in the Iowa State Penitentiary. In 2015, he suffered an attack of septic poisoning, which led to a novel legal appeal. This item appeared in the Washington Post for November 8, 2019. The attack was caused by kidney stones so large that they blocked his elimination process. His body was poisoning itself. After he collapsed in his prison cell, doctors restarted his heart five times. After the first four unsuccessful attempts to resuscitate, Schreiber was technically dead. As he was recovering back at the penitentiary, he came up with an interesting legal appeal. His sentence had been life without parole. Schreiber claimed that since he died before he was resuscitated, he had technically fulfilled his life sentence. In 2018, he filed for post-conviction relief, claiming that he was being held in prison illegally. 
His sentence was supposed to end with his death, which he argued had taken place three years previously. In a curious piece of legal speak, the judge ruled the argument was unpersuasive. The fact that Schreiber was able to file a legal motion in itself confirms the petitioner's current status as living. After losing his case, Schreiber remains incarcerated, and it is unclear whether he plans to take his case to a higher court. Eh, nice try, but give it a rest, unless you can prove you're the living dead. This is the best way to characterize the American diet. How sweet it is! This item on our unhealthy eating appeared in the Washington Post for November 2nd, 2019. American adults consume an average of 17 teaspoons of sugar every day、Whoa. that have been added to their food and drinks. The American Heart Association recommends a daily intake of no more than six teaspoons of added sugar for women and nine teaspoons for men. For most adults today, 15% of their daily calories comes from added sugar. Whoa. Yeah. Current dietary guidelines suggest a maximum of 10%. So, where are these added sugars coming from? These added sugars are part of the processing of foods and beverages or added at home. Now, this includes white or brown sugar, honey, molasses, high fructose corn syrup. I always keep that one on my shelf. Yeah, really. Dextrose, lactose, sucrose, and other croses. <laughs> Researchers have found at least 61 different names for sugar on labels. The top sources of added sugar are soft drinks, cakes, cookies, candy, and ice cream. Health experts note that added sugars are often present in foods that don't seem sweet, like soups, bread, cured meats, and ketchup. Too much sugar can lead to weight gain, diabetes, and heart disease. So, the best advice is to cut way down on processed foods. Their labels often contain several different names for sugar. Or, Jim, you could do what I do quit reading labels. Quilty the cat has an uncanny ability to break out of confinement, which was a problem for his former home, an animal shelter. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for November 12, 2019. Quilty's owner moved away and wasn't able to take him along, so he ended up at a shelter called the Friends for Life Animal Rescue and Adoption in Houston. What the owner failed to mention was that the cat had learned how to open a door and would often open the door for the family dog to run through the neighborhood. His technique was unique. Quilty would get up on his hind legs and repeatedly jump into the air. He would grab at the door handle until he was able to pull it down. The door would eventually spring open and the cat would be free, along with the other 15 cats that shared his living space at the shelter. Fortunately, Quilty didn't have a key to the outside doors, so the cats had to content themselves with a nightly indoor party. The shelter provided frequent updates on Quilty's latest crimes, and he soon had 30,000 Instagram followers. He even got a shout out on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He was definitely the cat's meow.、Oh. The shelter sensed a good opportunity to promote pet adoption. They sold Quilty t shirts and free Quilty wristbands. They held a mock news conference to suggest a possible book deal and maybe even a presidential <laughs> run in 2020. Ah, but fame is fleeting. People were clamoring to adopt Quilty, and he eventually found a good home. At his new home, Quilty seems to be spending his time napping, 
but the shelter had the last laugh. They wrote on Facebook, he has them all fooled. Anna Louise Bruner had a long and satisfying career as a classroom teacher. When she retired, though, she didn't slow down. She built on her experiences with grade school productions to become a playwright. Now in her 80s, she's still putting on productions with and for the people in her retirement community. Anna Louise, we would like to start by asking you about your beginnings as a teacher, how you got into it, why you got into it, and what you learned from it. Oh, well, great. That's a topic I like to talk about. Wonderful. (laughs) Uh, I had this experience in first and second grades with just the right kind of teacher and just the wrong kind of teacher. It took me years and years to look back on that, though, and and realize, uh, you know, the power of a teacher and the pleasure uh, of being a teacher. And, And the first one was in first grade when I was a very active child with a big imagination and probably talked a lot. And uh, the teacher said that we were going to act out Hansel and Gretel, and whoever had been bad today could be the witch. And who was the bad one? Me. (laughs) (laughs) Me. So I was supposed to go up there. Of course, I was too embarrassed. I would not. not, uh, Then I would not be the extrovert. I would not go up there. Uh, But a second-day teacher, uh, uh, I gave another uh, little girl and myself a coloring book, with animals and, you know, little children, boys and girls, and had us color it and cut it out and then paste it onto the pages of a book. And we essentially created a book, and I guess we had both learned our letters well in printing, so we printed a little story. And she sent us down to, I believe it was to the kindergarten rooms, to read our our books. And uh, I, I realized, looking back on it now, she was already training a, uh, a writer and training a teacher, and just the difference, the, the fact that I can remember so vividly both of those teachers, and one with a negative impact and one with a positive impact, uh, just something I, I, I treasure remembering and knowing how valuable a teaching career is, and that, that's why I wanted to do it. The other thing is a kind of a practical matter in the in the probably the 40s and 50s I guess before that too there were three options for women actually and that was teaching nursing or a secretary uh training and uh, I guess the scholar, more scholarly type of person probably went into teaching and perhaps the caregiver into nursing and then someone who enjoyed uh management and clerical kinds of work went into to the uh, secretary positions and and so that's kind of my early beginning in it and uh and I, I never regretted it it was always the right choice for me got a question for you how what did you do to be the good kind of teacher rather than the not so good kind of teacher uh, well I, I guess i just basically like people I like uh, I like the ve- the differences in in the children I taught. I taught at all grade levels. I taught elementary, junior high, and high school. I like them all. Uh, I liked getting interested in what they were, what they're like, and their personalities and their characters. And uh, I, I guess that's the main thing is being 
caring, really caring about them and, and getting to know them. You, you, that is the interesting thing about teaching because once they start to school, the teacher is really with your children more than the parents are because we're, mm-hmm. it's every day, uh, you know, all day long, well, especially elementary school and then at secondary level too. It seems, Anna Louise, like a key word in the way you describe what you do is creativity. And uh, I believe that it was that creativity that spurred you to take an entirely different direction at one point, and that was in the direction of writing plays. Uh, Tell us how you discovered your desire to do that and what you initially did about it. All right. Uh, You know, I taught theater. I taught drama. We had created skits and runes. We had, I had directed plays, but it had never, it just had never crossed my mind that I would write a play. And uh, once I discovered that, I, then I really was ready to launch upon this sort of this second half of my life where I have been more involved in, in the, in the creating of, of plays. And, and getting involved and, you know, sending them off to contests to see if uh, anybody would publish it or produce it elsewhere. And I've had some local productions. I have been pleased with writing plays and seeing them acted, seeing them performed. That's that's uh, both a pleasurable and an enormously scary experience. <laughs> scary in what way? Well, you think, oh, I don't think that... Uh, I don't think the director really understood what I was meaning here. <laughs> I would have done this a little. Keep, in other words, keeping your mouth shut. I have learned. I learned uh, probably the hard way. You know, you hand that script over to a director, and uh, then you need to back off. Mm. And I have to remind myself that many more times a director would discover something in it that that I had not thought about, and it was it was very pleasing the way it turned out, but that happened far more often than periods of time where I would sit there and think, this is not what I really wanted for this particular character. I understand you had a chance to study under Edward Elby at the University of Houston. Tell us about that experience. Uh, There were about 12 of us were selected for that class, and um, through the semester, everyone had like one shot at uh, he would bring actors in to read scenes of our plays, or uh, sometimes he'd have us duplicate, and we would read. and And then we were all um, we were all invited to add our commentary, and then he would sum it up at the end. and And he was brilliant at doing that. Uh, so it was a wonderful experience. It's a little bit scary. He, he can come across as maybe. Uh, a little bit severe, uh, but it was a great experience. Well, somehow you survived it, and it seems to have done you some good because even now uh, you are still involved in the theater. You're still involved in productions. And uh, what is that like? Why have you continued to do this? When I made this move into a senior retirement center, uh, uh, I didn't walk in and think, now, okay, I'm the... I'm here. I'm ready to direct a play. That 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 wasn't it at all, but it just it just wells up naturally. And this particular uh, uh, retirement facility uh, already had a, a Brazos Players, 
but it was a, it was a good place for me to immediately see that there are already some people here interested in performing plays. So I have been involved now. This is my uh, my third year here, and I'm I'm still involved in uh, the Brazos Players. We we call them Senior Follies, and we get to make fun of ourselves. And um, uh, it's so far, so far, so good. The the difference is we're all in our 80s and 90s, and uh, our minds may feel like we're we're still 35, 40 year olds, or whatever, even 60 or 70 year olds. But but we uh, we have to be careful with our energies and and work work that into the equation. But the people are fun, they're clever, they have good ideas. What advice do you have to people in our generation to stay active, to stay involved with life? What would you suggest? Well, I guess it could be in, in, in two areas. One, one would be the kind of thing that always interested you, that, that, that made you... Uh, the heart beat a little faster, and your your eyes light up a little over things that you really in, enjoy doing, and and continue that. But the other thing would be also to you know be brave and, and take a step into something that you, maybe you always wanted to do. My advice is to uh, get involved with with one small thing and go from there, and do you know be be a part of whatever you want to be a part of. Well, we might as well find out, Anna Louise, if there is anything still on the horizon for you that makes your heart beat faster that you haven't done yet. My main thing, that there's this uh, website called PlaySubmissionHelper.org that, that has listings for small and large publication and production opportunities all across the U.S. And my heart would beat a little faster if this current play that I now have entered into a contest. It's a little theater in Minnesota. Uh, they'll be announcing their winners this spring, and uh, I'll either add it to my rejection pile, <laughs> which uh, I'd rather it not, but that's, that's more likely. I, I would be pleased to have my work done a little bit more. You, naturally, when you, when you write a play, it's, it's not really complete until an audience has responded to it, and that's what you want. That would be my goal, yeah. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.